This week we have an extra special show. On Friday we held our first Agency Deal Masters Live, Achieve Exceptional B2B Agency Growth, where heavyweight tech and agency chairman Felix Velardi interviewed Joe Hine from SI Partners. They discussed everything from what are the key tenants of a good strategy, how agencies can increase their valuation, what buyers look for in agencies, what surprises most entrepreneurs during the sale process, and when is the right time to sell. This was just such a masterclass in how agencies can create and execute a strategy for growth. The event went so well that we're going to continue doing these every few months. Um, We've got a fantastic and fascinating list of guests coming up. Felix has agreed to interview future guests. Everyone had a fantastic time. The next one will be in January, so head over to the website and sign up for email updates and we'll let you know when tickets are available. I strongly advise that you get tickets. Not only is it live, so anything can happen, but it's just a fascinating conversation. You know, the hosts stick around, they take questions, and and how often do you get a chance to hang around and have that kind of informal interaction with legends in the agency world. Plus, as Felix reminded us, it's a safe space to compare notes, learn from and be inspired by, and also commiserate with your fellow peers, competitors and travellers. And as he said, the pie is huge. So there's plenty of business out there for all of us. No one's going to steal your clients. So without me keeping you in suspense any further... Enjoy part of our extra special conversation between Felix Velardi and Joe Hine. How else can you drive up your value when you when you're starting to go into the sort of okay we're we're, we're starting to make decent yeah, yeah. profit? Um, how do we maximise the value if we're going to have a conversation with you? Yeah, and yeah absolutely. Potentially yeah. with with buyers. So. We, we think of, in our business, we think of five value drivers um, that, uh, that uh, they're derived from conversations that, you know, 20 years of talking to buyers about what these five value drivers are. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's your offer of your business. It's the management team of your business. It's your clients. It's the growth and it's your profit. And, and kind of in that order, the... As I said, growth is, if we take growth as an overrider, but we, we kind of scale that back to the growth in this instance. If you've got offer and management are very much your, the, the, the deal drivers, why someone will come and talk to you, and growth and profit is, are the value drivers, and clients kind of sit in the middle. And really, if, what you're trying to do is, well, so if you have your offer, you need to be contemporary, well-placed. Inevitably, if you're talking to us, you've probably succeeded around a lot of that. Sometimes it's, it's just tweaking that. The things that you can do are things around management, and there's a lot about management. We quite often talk to um, entrepreneurs, and you can get, you know, as a single entrepreneur, a pair of entrepreneurs, you can take your business to a level, okay? And that level is probably dictated by A, your time, and B, your black book. To get it beyond that level, you need to build the team beneath you. You need to empower the team beneath you and give them proper roles. Um, That creates a succession planning, uh, within the business, um, and that allows, uh, it gives you more time, right? And, and it gives you a greater black book and, 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 you know, 
and that that's what allows sort of like often to break through the 50 barrier or, or 50 people barrier that people sometimes talk about that is often around your team your succession planning um, thinking about okay buyers want to see shares beyond a founder having 100 percent of the value in one person that's very high risk so um, as i was talking about earlier putting shares in place and think about your your clients you know what what sort of clients should you have what sort of clients are um, buyers going to be interested in and, and you know it's clients that, that reflect their client base if you've got small and medium-sized businesses you're likely to sell to someone who likes small and medium-sized businesses if you've got large global financial clients you can probably sell to anyone um, you know but kind of people want to have blue chip brands um, they don't want a client dominance you know it's you can be a victim of your own success so many people come you know you a lot of you know we meet quite a lot of accidental entrepreneurs they were like well I was just consulting and this one client just kept giving me more and more business and I was like I suddenly had a business here and you go well I'm, you know I'm a, I'm a one one business agency um, and diversifying away from that actually you know deep diversifies risk um, you, you know you should be aiming for 10 equal size clients would be a perfect place to be nice and big chunky client sizes um, and that shows that you can interact with those big brands that, that buyers you know, want your service, they want to translate your services to their clients. Um, growth and growth plan, you know, it's absolutely what Felix said. People want to come along and go, okay, well, you've got to hear what, what's next. And you can go, here's my plan, here's how it's substantiated, this is how it's going to work, these are my growth drivers, I've thought this through, and I know that you know, not only have I got this lovely historic track record, I, I think I can continue that. And ultimately profit is, is about how do you, uh, uh, how do you, you know, that, that's the driver. So any deal, and people talk about revenue-based deals, and that's right, but it's just in a way of expressing a value. Ultimately, it's really, it's a bit dark. Even the consultancies that we talk to, they want to see that you're profitable. So if, if someone says, well, I'm just gonna sell on my revenue, unless you're a SaaS business, a, a WeWork, um, you know, the reality <laughs> is well, yeah, a bad example. But the reality is, you know, you have to have a, a, an EBITDA kernel. And, you know, there are lots you can do in the last six uh, to nine months beforehand, because if you run a business uh, and it's your own business and it's your own profit, then you make different decisions than you're saying, actually, I could probably tighten that up a little bit or, do I, how do I want to rethink my bonuses? You know, how do I use equity instead of bonuses to, to allow people and to sort of improve, not just you know, the optics of it, but actually you know, systematically improve the, improve the well, business? I think probably the first six or nine months of every uh, client that we work with is, is about building the sort of superstar team yeah. that is going to take over from the owner. Um, the thing that I learned was if you can get your company, if you can build a superstar, forward-thinking um, growth team, not necessarily the senior management, because sometimes people yeah. are brilliant at being senior managers yeah. and crap at delivering strategic growth, but the growth team, if you can build that in systematically, then by the time you're producing your million EBIT or whatever it is, you know, you've gone from... 200,000 that you're doing now with your whatever it is uh, 15 people and you've gone up to yeah. 50 people and you're doing a million EBIT and suddenly you're worth 10, 15, 20 million quid we'll come back to that in a second um, you're disposable not only is, is, have you got the team running the business for you doing strategic stuff used to actually taking responsibility and working very closely together but also you've started to look strategically and you're going around and you're yeah. meeting Joe and uh, and meeting Accenture and, yeah, yeah. and what have you. 
Um, and they know that when they buy you, you are potentially portable. You, you announced a deal, was it yesterday? Yeah. Where the CEO, who's been running the business uh, for the last uh, eight years, I suppose, yeah. 10 years, uh, has been promoted two levels up to be running the group that supplied his agency. Because the agency no longer needs him. And if you can get to that position where you are dispensable, not only do you de-risk uh, de the whole process, both for you and for the owner, just in case you're crap, it turns out that you can't have a boss because you're a crap employee, um, or that you are so good that you're useful elsewhere in the group, building that management team in yeah. you know, strategically at a certain point. Yeah, and, and I, I talk about it in, uh, in terms of selective redundancy. You know, I, I think um, to try and make yourself redundant as a founder of a business that is of that kind of scale actually is a bit of a falsehood, if I may. Because, I, you know, you may not see what you're doing, but you're doing a lot. You know, you're probably the best salesperson for that agency. It's about giving away all the other stuff, you know, and keeping the stuff that where you're really adding the value. Because if you go to a buyer and they say, I mean, that, that is a, a good example, and those kind of deals do happen once in a while where the, the, found, the buyer goes, that talent there is phenomenal. But the majority of the time, if you say, yeah, no, you can take my agency, I, you know, it doesn't need me, I, I don't do anything, a buyer won't touch it. Because they know that unless you are literally, you know, kind of out of the picture, haven't been there for a while, um, that, that the, and you've still got, let's be honest, majority of the shares, you know, then, you know, it can be done, but you're going you're gonna to accrete value. It's not going to be, you know, kind of the dream that you may maybe thought about. So it's really about selective redundancy. It's choosing the tasks. Mm. So many people are like, well, you know, I, there's a creative, I've worked with this brilliant creative guy in New York. Um, he does all the marketing for any sort of high rise, posh, you know, really posh developments in New York City. Uh, design, student, you know, very, very powerful. Um, and he was doing spreadsheets. And I was like, Mark, what are you doing? <laughs> like, I know you can do the spreadsheets, but that is not good use of your time. You're a designer, go and put a pen in your hand, go and put some, find some felt tips, and go and, do, go and do what you're really good at, and let somebody, I know you want to control it, but let somebody else do that. Let somebody else run the agency, go and do, go and do what makes you special. Go and walk into, the, you know, he can walk into some Saudi prince's room and, and convince them that they should use him to, to market their latest development, and that's what he should be spending his time doing. What surprises owners when they're doing, or founders, when they're, they're in the deal, going through the deal process? Um, yeah, there's a few, I think the two big things, one is how emotional it is. You'll have spent years and years and years growing this, you'll have made sacrifices to grow this business you know, at expense of other parts of your life. And the idea of handing it over is a very emotional process. You know, this is a, you'll do this once for majority of people. They will sell their business once. This is, you probably, you may not have a pension. This is your, this is your pension. This is your family's financial security. And that can weigh quite heavily on, on people's minds and, and getting it right. And you have a, you know, you've, majority of entrepreneurs have a real duty of they, they feel a real duty of care to their employees and they want them to have a great future they want them to really love when they stand up and go i've sold the business and it's to x they want to they want them to be excited um which actually is not always true 
You, mm. you, entrepreneurs care about it more than the, than the staff do. We actually, a lot of staff are kind of like, yeah, have I got a job? Okay. <laughs> right? Genuinely, that is, that, because we, um, we had a survivor's dinner for a whole bunch of um, people that we sold in the last couple of years, and every single one of them around the room said that. And the other thing is, is how, much, how much time and distracting, and I think this is a really important point as well. Um, it's, it's like trying to win two or three new business accounts. You know, it takes that amount of time. Um, and the, the, the two things that will kill a deal, one is uh, time just elapses and the world changes, and the other is that your results go south. You go, yeah, I was gonna do this, this amount this year. By the way, we're about half of that in profit. You know, the buyer's just gonna walk away. Because you're spending a whole, huge amount of your time, your energy, your, your emotion on selling the process. It's exciting. Um, it comes back to having a management team that can continue earning the profit and driving growth without you while you are being distracted. Yeah, absolutely. And, and getting an advisor, and I, and I say that agnostic of, if you want to use us, great, but use somebody. Um, because you will, you will get to a better answer. It's funny. I, I, when I retired, Semi-retired. I spent nine months going to Burning Man. I mean, you know. Um, uh, and then the, the first thing that I started to get hired to do was M&A because, yeah. I, you know, I, I did. I had six agencies of my own, and, and then I sat on the other side of the table and, and brought twelve agencies into a, um, a sort of an aff affiliative group, I suppose. Um, and so the, the, my expertise in M&A and, and the joy that I get in negotiation and positioning and all of that was strategic fit. And still, when it comes to doing the deal, no matter how much experience an entrepreneur has, you absolutely have to have a specialist. Mm. And the reason that I've, I've worked with you and I, you know, I, I bring my clients to see you when they're at a certain level of maturity and you know, when, when you start to need to meet yeah. them, um, you can't do it without a specialist who knows the market because, you know, I'm great at negotiation and I find it fun and <clears throat> I know the best lawyers and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is that you know who's in the market. You know who the 500 or 1,000 buyers now are. Mm -hmm. When it used to be easy, you know, you'd phone up <coughs> the head of M&A at WPP and say, Psst, um, got a right one for you. <laughs> they like, um, add it to the list. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now you're dealing with people in China and yeah. Canada and roll-ups and mm, 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 uh, mm. consulting groups. And does, it, do, does the way that they approach deals, yeah. how different is it? What's the sort of range like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I mean, I, I don't know if, you know, there's been a lot of talk in the industry about the consultancies recently and, and kind of who they are and, you know, buying an, um, an Accenture. Um, it's on the, you know, it's just, and Accenture is the WPP of today, right? I mean, they are driving the market. And just won their first set of creative awards as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm, who knew? Yeah, and I spoke to them yesterday about something else. Um, <laughs> so they're still very active in the marketplace. Um, but but they, they are different to uh, certainly how Sorrel defined how agencies were bought historically. You know, it was looking at your profit multiplying that by a revenue. I'll give you some money today, I'll give you some money in the future. If you grow, great. Um, but that created sort of real parochial, you know, earn out behaviors. The consultancies are not like that. They're, they don't run different business groups. They're, they're, a lot of them are partnerships, you know, it's, they're very collaborative. Um, they want to try before they buy. They want to have been working with you. So you take someone like Oliver Wyman, they won't 
enter, even though I mean I took them an asset that was you know absolutely spot on what they wanted. But they said no, our M&A process is to work with an agency for a year beforehand, find out how you we mesh together, where the cross sell opportunity is, and then we'll enter a, a kind of conversation. And that's that you know that's in, in, ex, in extremity, but that is the kind of philosophy around it. The sort of deal structures they're doing, they they rather than having this sort of multiple of X and Y, and if you grow at this rate, and if your profit is at this, this kind of percentage, and this is the ultimate multiple you get, these guys go, well, I'm gonna give you this amount of value, okay? This is the value that we, we agree, and I'll give you 60, 70% up front, and then I'll, you know, over the next two years, I'll, I'll give you some more, you know, that, that final 40, 30%. I'm gonna base that, not on profit, I'm gonna base that on revenue growth. I'm gonna base that on keeping your people, I've had a deal where they said, right, 50 grand goes off the price for every person that, that leaves the business. Uh, growing, growth of people, because I want you to, I want, this is a growth story, I want you to go out and capture the market. Um, opening offices in other locations, kind of soft factors. So they, they, they don't want earn out behaviors, they want people to play nicely and play within their groups. And, and it really has changed the, the deal environment and, and how, uh, how people approach it. So killer question then, um, at, 200,000, 400,000, 600,000, a million, two million, mm -hmm. what can you expect to get of EBIT, that is? Um, I feel like I need a <coughs> spreadsheet to answer that one. I mean, it's, um, you know, there is definitely a, I mean, I've, I've cut that down into kind of s below a million of, of EBITDA and then sort of around a million and then sort of two million plus. And there's definitely a, 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 a sort of uh, an accelerating effect as you, as you go up. You, you know, you will command greater, by, by the fact that you are of a greater size, you have a greater rarity. So therefore you're gonna command a higher, a higher price. There is a bit of a ceiling on it and actually your offer and your nature behind what you do often will dictate it. You know, it's very obvious to see that SaaS businesses are gonna be worth more than people and service businesses for that exact reason. But, you know, if, rather than dance around, you know, if you are, you can probably expect around a million pounds, probably expect over the life of a deal for some good growth, you probably expect about, about 10 times that. So, you, you know, if you're a million pound business, I think there's a 10 million pound opportunity if you uh, continue with your growth and you continue with your success. Um, if you are on the smaller end of the scale, so the 200,000 EBIT, say, um, Harder to find a buyer, perhaps, but there's some, you know, digestible. Uh, if you become, you can become quite digestible for the right buyers. I'd be more looking around a revenue multiple, um, and it's probably somewhere between 0.8 and you know, 1.5. Probably, you know, medium around around the one times revenue kind of mark, because people are probably saying, actually, don't worry, I don't, I don't want you to be a standalone business. I'm going to do all your back office. I just want you to be a revenue generator, and actually, that's what I want to measure you on. So essentially, by five to growing by five times, you're actually ten times in your yeah value. Yeah, that's great. That'd be awesome. Um, uh, Joe Hine, thank you very much. Um, so I, I want to open this out to questions. Yeah. Uh, questions for Joe, questions for me, but mainly questions for Joe, please. <laughs> it's a bit early. Um, uh, who's got a question? Yes. So you talked a lot about um, agency owners becoming indispensable, yeah. that self-made redundancy, uh, but then still having to be part of that earnout. Yeah. Um, so do you, I mean, do you ever see deals where the agency owner doesn't have to 
uh, be part of that earner? Or are you saying that yeah, that you, perceived value is always going to be there? Then? So, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it can happen. Yeah. So we sold Elvis. Um, it was one of the deals that you mentioned to Next15. Um, they were private equity backed. They were about roughly 5 million, slightly under 5 million of turnover. Um, management didn't have any equity. Um, it was all owned by the private equity house. And I think we had about five bids for them. It was a great thing. You know, they had their offer absolutely on point and the, you know, the private equity house had honed it really nicely. Um, so you can do it, but it, you know, the private equity had created the narrative and they had made it self-sustaining. So they knew that private equity were not involved in the management of the business, that actually it truly was kind of there. Um, you can have a manager that's distant and have 100% of the shares and sell it, but it will play to value. Um, of the deals that we've been doing recently, I'd say between five to 10% of the value has gone outside of the shareholders. And I think if you were in that situation, that might be exacerbated. But if you've yeah. given shares to some, some of the people or share options to some people in, in your team, yeah, as Felix says, it, it, it's, it's achievable. But you've got, to be, you've got to think about it very carefully and, and do it in the right way. We hope you enjoyed that snippet from Agency Dealmasters Live. As we said, that was our first live event and the feedback was fantastic. Everyone really enjoyed themselves and we're really looking forward to the next one in January. Head over to the website, sign up for email updates. We will let you know when tickets are available for the next one uh, towards the end of January. Um, we've got a fantastic lineup of guests coming up. As we said, Felix will be interviewing them. And I've just got a ton to learn from Felix. You can just hear what an amazing interviewer he is. And I was just scribbling notes for the entire time that I was there trying to improve my interview technique. Um, so we look forward to seeing you in January. Once again, I'm Nathan Annie Barber. You've been listening to Agency Dealmasters.